Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros MBA. We'll be joined by Corbin in, in just a moment. Um, this is our first episode in, I think, a little bit over a week. Um, we had some kind of uh, scheduling issues. I've been traveling uh, a little bit uh, to and from home for the, the Thanksgiving holiday break. Um, but we are back um, it, we are recording on the night of sub- Sunday, November 19th. That's about 11 o'clock Eastern. Um, so most of the stats in this episode were uh, you know, taken down and, and observed before Sunday's game. So they might be a little bit different when you listen to this on Monday morning. But regardless of that, we are back. You can follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. And you can check out our website at 94feetreport.com. But enough rambling. Let's get Corbin on. Corbin, how are you doing tonight? Eric, pretty good, man. Pretty good. Lakers are leading. All is right with the world. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. It's good to get back in the, into the podcasting flow and moving forward. Hopefully, we are getting more episodes out there. And uh, all right, I mean, I, I know you had the baseline question for this week because for the viewers who don't know, we switch each week. Uh, one of us comes up with the baseline question. So Corbin. You including today. My my question to you is, is is it time to start second guessing ourselves concerning Lonzo Ball? Um, I've been watching pretty much every game he's been in. Statistics are not kind to him. Shooting 38, 30.8% from the field, 22.7% from three, and 46.2% from the free throw line. So literally nothing seems to be going in for him. <laughs> Teams are giving him the rondo treatment, in my opinion, letting him shoot. They already know he, he which way he's going, so they force him to to go usually to his right when driving to make it difficult. And it's showing on that, too. He's only shooting 42.1% on shots within three feet of the rim, which is just terrible. And Charles Barkley speak terrible. So, I mean, as, as I've been watching him, I, I already knew going into the season that I, I wish as much as Brooke Lopez has been – a solid player for us and has really helped Lonzo as far as having a pick-and-pop center. I really wish we hadn't made that trade and that we had D'Angelo Russell and the two of them together. But, you know, knowing what we know now and seeing how Lonzo's been playing, what do you feel about Lonzo? Because I'm I'm not I'm not going to lie. I'm not feeling too hot about him anymore. It's, it's kind of scary. It's only been a couple of games, but ugh. Yeah, I mean, it's always hard to, like, evaluate rookies in their first 10 or 15 games of the season. I mean, Marco Fultz isn't even playing. Um because of that shoulder injury, which is extremely concerning. So, you know, at least Lonzo is playing on the floor. But as you mentioned, you mentioned the numbers. He can't hit anything. I mean, the 42% on shots within three feet of the rim is is, is just astoundingly terrible. I think league average is around 56 57%. Um, and he's missing some layups that are, are basically bunnies for, for most guards. And that's kind of concerning as well. Basically, I, think, I mean, his confidence just seems at an all-time low. He, he misses shot after shot. Uh, I can't remember what game it was where he missed the three... And then some, they got the offensive rebound, and then he got the ball back, and he missed a wide-open three again, and he just stood there sulking for, like, a minute. Um, the confidence is just, <laughs> just shot at this point, but confidence is something you can build up. Now, a, a, thing, a way to not build up your confidence is by benching him for down the stretch of fourth quarters in close games. I just don't think that's the right move for the Lakers. I get it if the team was, you know, a serious threat for a playoff spot, but they're really not. They're really more of a team focused on the future, especially focused on next year's free agency. So I don't really see the point in benching your future star or what you hope to be as your future star down the stretch of fourth quarters. I think it'd be better if you just play him through the adversary, uh, adversity, uh, make him play through his struggles. I think that builds a better character, gets his confidence up a little bit. 
even if he's you know you know even if he struggles down the stretch of a close game and you lose it, what what's the real harm in that? There, there really isn't that much. Um, so I don't think benching him down the stretch of fourth quarters is is a good strategy by Luke Walton if they're really just trying to focus on the future. And obviously Lonzo Ball is a key part of that future. Um, you know, ultimately. I just think that he'll get more comfortable. He just will. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on him. You know, his dad putting all that pressure on him, the, the pressure of the of the Lakers organization and the fan base. Um, you know, there were concerns about his shot going into the season, coming out of college, and, and obviously those have translated into really poor shooting numbers. I still think he can be a decent shooter. I think, you know, maybe he'll never be a great shooter, um, but his defense has been pretty good so far. He's rebounding the ball well. He's spreading the ball around, getting pretty good assist numbers. Um and leading the offense pretty well. It's just the shooting has been really bad, and, and the confidence seems to be really bad. And, of course, he had that moment where he just walked away from a little skirmish uh, the other day, which was kind of a little yeah. bit controversial on social media. Um, <laughs> ultimately, I mean, I'm not giving up on him. I, I, I think I'm almost at the point where I don't think he'll be an all-star in, in his career, but I don't want to say that. That's a little bit too drastic for 15 games. I mean, he, he could he – could, <laughs> you know, the final 15 games of the season, he could shoot 50% from three, and we could be going crazy about those 15 games. So it is kind of a, a still a pretty small small sample. I know everyone wants to jump to conclusions early in the season for not only rookies, for just teams overall and players overall as well. Um I do think that watching him, I do kind of get this feel that he there is a chance that he might not ever become an all-star, especially if he stays in the West with how good the guards are in the West. But that's just kind of my take. I think he'll improve. His confidence will go up. I think they should play him down the stretch of fourth quarters, regardless of if the game's close or not. Um, ultimately, I think he'll improve. But by, by midseason, towards the end of the season, I think he'll look pretty good. But I do have some lingering concerns about him being a real all-star, all-NBA player in his career. I'm not sure how you feel about that. I, I'm, I'm with it. I... I... Don't know. I, I feel if he's going to be the face of the franchise, I don't know if it's in Lonzo to be that. He he seems to be more of a super glue guy to me. He gets he gets the ball moving. He gets in and gets rebounds. I mean, I'm with you on the all-star bid. To me, I'm hoping, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion that it's still too early. I want to be that way, especially if you get drafted number second. But, I mean, for every star who, who blooms later, you have Anthony Bennett. And I'm not saying anything that he's like that. I'm just saying where... We could look back in four or five years and go, yeah, we grossly overestimated Alonzo Ball and, and, and his and his potential and how good he actually is, you know? So I'm hoping – I mean, I, I don't think he can play as bad as he is now for for the long term. There, there has to be a silver lining. I mean, it has to be him um, playing up to what I hope is his average. You know, I don't know if his ceiling is, is, is super-duper high. But then again, like it is only 15 games, so I don't know. I mean, I'm a Lakers fan, and and, and also <laughs> as as NBA fans, we're we're really quick to over exaggerate and jump to conclusions. At least the less rational of us, as myself. So I had I had to get you to, to calm me down and and reassure me here. <laughs> I mean, and the other there's two things I want to say is that first. Um, People like to jump to conclusions, especially when they're drastic on one end or the other. Like someone's playing incredibly well, or someone's playing incredibly poorly, like Lonzo is. Like people want to jump to those conclusions rather than the kind of average, kind of not hot takes. Like people are having hot takes about Lonzo being a bust or never making an All Star team or whatever like that. Um, so obviously, people like to jump to conclusions, especially drastic ones early in the season. And then second thing I want to point out is that you mentioned that maybe he's just not a leader and just not his demeanor, and maybe he's just a, a really good glue guy or something like that. I mean, I don't remember who it was. There was someone. I think it was on NBA TV, maybe on the Players Only uh, show or segment, or someone, 
a former player who was analyzing um, Lonzo Ball's demeanor in one of the games, and they said, you know, I don't want my point guard to be quiet. I don't want my point guard to be sulking like this because he's he's really a, a very calm demeanor guy on the court. And and someone was like, you know, I really want my leader, my point guard, to be like this. And it's it's an interesting point. Obviously, we had the Kevin McHale criticizing James Harden for his style of leadership, and he's been really quiet as a leader, and he's you know he's embraced it more in, in the past couple of seasons, and he and he looks more of a leader on the court now. But he's now got Chris Paul, who's you Chris Paul's been back for two games, and I've seen him yell at his teammates. 20 times already and that's not something oh, you yeah. see, that's not something you see from Harden so there are players who can develop and to be the best guy on the team and be the, the de facto leader without being you know really expressive obviously Harden's kind of the de, was the de facto leader and is for the Rockets because he's one of the top five players in the league and I don't know if Lonzo ever gets to that level but it is interesting questioning his de- demeanor and if that can be kind of the he can be a leader of a team with that kind of calm demeanor True, and I have one. I'm at the at the risk of going a little too far, Alonzo. I have a question for you. Who do you think, after seeing these these last couple of games so far, who do you compare him more to? I heard a lot of Jason Kidd comparisons early. Um, you know, the first five games or so. I'm tending again, probably over exaggerating, but I'm leaning toward Michael Carter Williams territory right now. I mean, he he obviously could work out, but I, I see someone long lean. He gets in to get some rebounds. He can move the ball. His outside shot is is not there. I mean, it's not consistent. And I don't know if he's going to be a, a star in that sense. But that's what I'm looking at. But after watching most of his games, where where do you where do you see him as? Yeah, I mean, I actually kind of like that Michael Carter Williams comparison. I mean, maybe not for the rest of his career, but for his, yeah. for his rookie season. I mean, the numbers really kind of show, I mean, Carter Williams, I'm looking, looking him up right now, his rookie season, 16.7 points per game, 6.2 rebounds, 6.3 assists, 1.9 steals, shot 26% on threes and 40% on the from the field. So Lonzo can probably, those, okay. are, re, those are realistic numbers for Lonzo to get, 40% from the field, 26% from three. He might even shoot better on, on threes this season. Um, and the number, six rebounds, six assists are kind of what Lonzo's putting up right now. And Carter Williams took 15 shots a game again he was on that Sixers team um back yeah, in 2013 so he was taking a lot of shots which is why he put up so many points but he did have the numbers like Lonzo and they have similar builds and similar kind of games and yeah I think that's a pretty apt comparison for now um maybe by midseason we can do another Lonzo comparison and he could look maybe more like Jason Kidd at that point but it's really hard mm-hmm. to do comparisons early in this in in the uh, player's career um but I do kind of like your Carter Williams comparison Appreciate it, man. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, a lot of concerns about Lonzo Ball, but we got to give him more time, maybe in, a, in a, a couple months or two, we'll revisit this baseline question about concerns about Lonzo Ball. But with that, we're going to move on to the full court press. Get ready, because it's time for the full court press. All right, for the full court press this week, because we have not have an e- have had an episode for about ten days, we're gonna do it. Uh, we usually do kind of uh, teams of the week and hot and cold teams. We're gonna do that again because we again we haven't had an episode for about ten days. So teams have played a significant significant number of games since we last had an episode. So we'll start off with the hot teams. Always nice to start off with the positives, and we've got it. If you're talking about hot teams in the league, you got to talk about the Boston Celtics. They have won fifteen straight games after. Starting off 0-2 with Hayward going down, people were saying, oh, they might not even make the playoffs. They maybe be a sixth seed at best, first round elimination. 
And then Brad Stevens says, uh, no, sorry, we're going to win 15 straight. We're going to use our best defense in the league to just shut guys down. We're going to use our young developing wings like uh, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, who's looked really impressive. They're all contributing in their own ways. Smart is one of the weirdest players in the league in that he's just terrible offensively, especially shooting the ball. But the statistics bear out that... Um, the Celtics offense is just better with him on the floor for some reason. And there was an article by uh, one of our writers at 94 Feet, Alex West. He wrote it for NBA Math about Marcus Smart. It was really interesting there as well. Um, what have you seen from the Celtics? What have you liked from the Celtics so far? And, you know, do you think that this 15 straight can continue over the next couple of games? How serious do you think their chances are in the playoffs built like a team like this with a bunch of good wings but that can't really take over playoff games? I know they just threw out a lot of questions at you, but really, what are your thoughts on the Celtics <laughs> in the short run and in the long run? You know, I, I, I admire their grit and their toughness. Obviously, when Danny Ainge put this team together, this isn't, I mean, I don't even think he even saw this 15-game win streak as something that was going to happen. But ideally, the players he's been trotting out, giving heavy minutes to the the type of, 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 of game that they've been playing, this gritty, grinded out kind of just play wasn't exactly what he foresaw, but obviously he's not complaining. This team, they just try hard. And in recent years, they've been labeled that almost derisively, you know, uh, as a, as a try hard team, they don't have a lot of talent, but they'll scrap it and, and, and muck it up and, and, and do, do those kind of things. I'm um, Anthony Davis, just, I think two years ago or so, or a year ago was saying that he wanted to be like Boston, not having a lot of talent, but having guys that play hard, which is almost damning with faint praise. If, if, that's such a thing. But just the type of play they have, I was looking, I think it all came together in that game against the Warriors. You know, and in that game, obviously, people exaggerated and, and misquoted Stephen Curry on it and everything. But that game was 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 great in the sense that Boston played, they played, they played pretty even throughout. Then the Warriors came and, and, and just took things to another level while the Celtics went through a cold streak. They don't really have a lot of great shot makers outside of um, Kyrie Irving and and Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown, a few of them that, that are, are still developing the shot makers and, of course, Kyrie. But the Celtics went on a cold streak. The Warriors built the lead as far high as high as 17 on, on several different occasions. And Boston just kept scrapping. Their, their backcourt, that game struggled. It was um, Kyrie, of course, the aforementioned Marcus Smart, and Terry Rozier, they combined for 5 for 28 from the field. But Jalen Brown just arose, came out of nowhere, was playing Kevin Durant to a standstill, mm -hmm. just, just evening out. Kevin Durant had 24 points, 3 rebounds, and 3 assists, and Jalen Brown ended up with 22 points, 7 rebounds, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. And, you know, there's a bunch of highlights of him blocking one of KD's just usually just untouchable jump shots going and ripping the ball straight from Steph Curry, you know, just, just scrapping back. Um, you had Jason Tatum who seemed shook, honestly, in the first half <laughs> going against Kevin Durant. And then he <laughs> came up and had seven of his 12 points in the fourth quarter and just knocked down five clutch free throws in that last frame. They, they just came and, and scrapped and found a way to pull it out. And that's kind of been the Celtics claim to fame. They haven't really had, so many just unbelievable offensive onslaughts, but they get down and dirty. They play good defense. Um, um, uh, James Ola, Snotty Drippin off of BWAP Breakdown wrote a great piece on on the Celtics in there, and they're coming back as far as how they've been playing without key members of their team and how they've been really just working hard and, and putting on a defensive mindset. And he put together some some points of, of 
star offensive players who have come against Boston in this latest streak. Steph Curry in that game went 3 for 14. Klay Thompson went 5 for 18. But Kristaps uh, Porzingis against them went 3 for 14. Mm-hmm. Joel Embiid went 4 for 16. Kemba Walker, 5 for 16. And, of course, Russell Westbrook, 7 for 20. Th- this has happened. This this is an underlying trait of Boston's comeback. Just down and dirty, grind out defense. And I don't know, this next man up mentality, I know I'm just rambling on and on, but <laughs> I've, I've loved this next man up mentality for Boston and this never say die fight that they have. And I, you know, I don't know how long it'll last. I think it just takes really one good full strength team and, and just some overpowering individual performances to, to put it down. But you have to like what you see from Boston. I think they're going to be a very solid playoff team, you know, for as long as they're there. I, 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 Fear venturing out to say how long they'll last, but this this kind of defensive mentality I think is sustainable. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned their kind of style of play. They have the 21st ranked offense and the first ranked defense. They are obviously using that defense to grind games out. They did it against the Warriors. They made them uncomfortable. You mentioned the shooting uh, statistics for Curry and Thompson in that game, and just. I just think that there's so many interesting factors about this team. The next man up mentality. Jason Tatum emerging. I think if it weren't for Ben Simmons, Tatum would be the clear rookie of the year. Obviously, Ben Simmons has been incredible this year. Um, I think Brad Stevens has jumped out to a really, really nice lead in coach of the year. Obviously, still meaningless, but he's doing a great job just getting this team so motivated. It's so hard to motivate a team that's won 14 straight to keep going 15 straight, especially when they fall down by these big leads. They were What were they down by against the Warriors? Like 15 plus at one point. Seven, yeah. Yeah, so... Yep. You know, they had won, I think, 13 straight at that point. It would have been easy to say, oh, it's the Warriors. We've won 13 straight. We can calm down. But nope, they grinded it out with their impressive defense. You know, it's interesting. Kyrie is having a better year, you know, overall. You know, just people are thinking he's having a better year. Numbers-wise, he's actually not having a better offensive year. I mean, he's down. He's only shooting 44.7%, which is down around 3% the last year. He's taking two less shots per game, less assists per game. Um, he was averaging 25 points per game last year. It's down to 21 Um his turnovers have been cut down. And he's playing much better on defense, which are the, are the crucial aspects of Kyrie's game and why they're a big factor. Al Horford has been tremendous for them. Um, and, you know, I don't know how long the streak will continue. Their schedule, I'm just looking at their schedule coming up. They've got Mavericks, Heat, Magic, Pacers, Pistons, 76ers, Suns, Bucks, Mavericks again. They could <laughs> they could beat all those yeah. teams, really. Um, <laughs> but again, it, I mean, I don't know. This, this, this streak could go on for 20 games. I don't know, but... In the playoffs, I think there could still be some concerns. Obviously, they have Kyrie, who loves to take over in the playoffs. But other than that, I have some concerns about their team. Horford's not doesn't strike you as a guy who will just take over playoff games by himself. Um, and then obviously, you know, you don't really want to rely on Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and a rookie to get some key offensive possessions. So, I mean, it, there might be a lot of pressure on Kyrie in the playoffs. Obviously, it's a long ways away from now, but I could see them winning the Eastern Conference by a lot of games, but then somewhat struggling a little bit in the playoffs as other defenses get better guarding the Celtics offense, which has struggled so far this year. But I think it's just an incredible streak. So Celtics are the first hot team um, of this episode. And the next one I want to move on to, a team that Kyrie Irving is familiar with, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have won four straight games after... um, you know, getting off to a really, really rough start. Uh, and obviously, it's still some extremely rough aspects considering the fact that they still have the worst defense in the league. Um, and the other fact that LeBron is playing a lot in pretty meaningless games. I mean, I know you don't want to fall down to like a 5-10 and 10 start or something, but he's playing. I think he leads the league in minutes per game. I think it's over 38. Um, and he's he, they just rely on him so much offensively because um, they don't have Isaiah Thomas and other players really can't create for themselves. Kyle Culver has been nice for them as well. But ultimately, this team is, is 
pretty much like last year's team. They're fourth offensively, um, and they're last defensively. I think last year they had a, they had a top three offense and a bottom five defense, um, and they had the same recipe now, using their offense to win games, and clearly not using their defense to stop anybody, including LeBron, which I'll get to in a, in a later segment of the show. Um, but really, ultimately, the, the real concern is that their defense just will not be anywhere close enough to stop Golden State if they make it to the finals. I still think, I know it's crazy, but I still think I'm picking the Cavs fairly comfortable, comfortably to make the finals. Um, but I, I think that their defense will be shredded in the finals against Golden State. I, I completely agree. And, and you, you can tell the, the Cavs' offense is clicking. We can't say, oh, the Cavs are back. They got it together. I think they were down by, what, 23 against the Knicks? Maybe a little more. I want to say definitely over 20. And then they came back with just a great explosive performance. And I, that word is funny when I'm mentioning Kyle Korver, but maybe electrifying. <laughs> he was he just came, was hitting down, just sniping from outside, really brought them back together. Obviously, LeBron's greatness cannot be undermined, um, even if he's playing so many minutes right now, man. It, it's it's November. I don't I don't understand, but they need him, so I get it. Dwayne Wade's come off the bench and and actually been playing much better. I think he had twenty, I want to say twenty three points, eleven rebounds, and five assists. Um, and I I, I was like eleven rebounds. Okay, Wade, I see you. So you know it, it, their their offense is coming back and it's kind of evolving because their three point shooting obviously is not last year's. You know it, it's not they're not going to be the team that. J.R. Smith's having a, a, a kind of down year from three. You know, Dwayne Wade's obviously not going to give it to you. Derrick Rose has been out, but when he comes back, that's not going to happen. IT will be a boon for them. Offensively, obviously, that's going to be where their bread is buttered. And as you said, defensively, it might be worse than – not might. It, it's going to be worse than last year <laughs> going against Golden State. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't see how that's going to work out. If this Christmas game against the Warriors is like a litmus test to what <laughs> – Cleveland's going to be doing against them, I, I'm very concerned. But I'm, I'm glad their offense is getting back together. When they're, when they're all clicking and rolling on all cylinders, they're tough to stop offensively. You know? Yeah, they have a they have a great yeah. offense, yeah, and great I think offense. that Isaiah Thomas's presence will be huge for them because it'll lessen the burden on LeBron offensively, which could allow him to rest more, maybe give a little bit more effort on defense because there has been almost no effort on that end of the floor so far this year. So I think IT will be a big for them, especially in the regular season and in the playoffs. He can take over some games offensively in the playoffs as well. Um, but I think the defense is just is just so bad that I just don't really want to see them play the Warriors again. I mean. I'd, I think I'd rather prefer the Celtics to play the Warriors because I'd love to see a great defense against the Warriors rather than the Warriors stomping around against a, a high school-level defense um, in the finals for four or five sure. games, maybe. Um, you know, it's, I know it's, you're going to tell... Oh. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, no, I know you're going to touch on this later, but I, I would rather the Cavs just for, and this is the key trigger word here, just for the narrative of LeBron <laughs> being able to go to the finals eight straight years mm-hmm. or whatever. But I see what you mean. Just as a basketball fan and, and, and for you, a basketball purist, you want to see good basketball. You don't want to see a team just get run roughshod. And so I see why you wouldn't want Cleveland to be there. And and mind you, Boston, especially with the way they play, man, it would be it would be good. That will be a good, good, tough six-game maybe even seven-game series. So that'll be something to see. But I'd rather them come next year when Gordon Hayward's back and they're at full strength, just the basketball uh, 2K simulator guy in me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would hope that there's another contender in the East besides the Celtics to try and bounce out the Cavs this year. I just like to see more... You know, competition in the East to challenge LeBron, and I want—I want to make LeBron earn it to get me to the finals, not sweep teams anymore. Um, and I don't think they'll sweep everyone on their way to the finals this year, but you know, it's, it remains to be seen. But there is a team 
that is flying under the radar. The next hot team I want to talk about, the Toronto Raptors. I, not enough people are talking about them. They've won four straight. They had a really impressive road back-to-back -back wins against the Rockets and Pelicans. They followed it up with a nice win against the Wizards today, although the Wizards did not have um, John Wall. Um, and they've sneakily, they're fourth in net rating um, because they have the third best offense and they have the 11th best defense. They're almost top 10 in both on both ends of the floor, which is kind of the marker, in my opinion, of, of a very elite team. And obviously they have the fourth best net rating, so they're a very elite team as well. The, the offense is flowing more. They're passing more. They made it a, a real focus of to, just to get the ball moving a little bit more. Obviously but the biggest complaints about them, especially in the playoffs, are just it's just give it to DeMar. He'll ISO for a mid-range. Give it to Kyle. He'll ISO. No real ball movement. No real getting the role players involved. But now that they've got guys like C.J. Miles to contribute, DeLon Wright, Jakob Podol, um, Pascal Siakam, all these young guys are contributing and stepping up in their limited roles. Um, and OG Ananobi I have to talk about because I watched him against the Rockets and particularly when he defended James Harden. And he is legit. I mean, this guy will be all defensive team in his career maybe multiple times if he can stay healthy. Um, I know he slipped to 24 in the draft because of that uh, lingering injury concern, and people thought he wasn't even going to be playing at this time, but not only is he playing, but he's giving them you know 30 minutes a night on certain nights, guarding the best offensive players in the league, like James Harden, and doing it very well. Um, I was extremely impressed with uh, OG uh, against the Rockets, and he also shot the three well. He looks very athletic. I I'm really high on OG Adenobi. And you know the other aspect and the final aspect before I give it to you is that the interesting thing is that Kyle Lowry's actually struggled a bit, and he's sacrificing a lot. He's averaging, I think, only like 11 shots per game, which is you know way down from last year. He's struggling with his shot too, percentage-wise. Um, he's taking a step back. Demar obviously is, is is a big key guy in his prime. Lowry is struggling and sacrificing, and it's kind of working for them. Obviously, the third best offense. These role players are stepping up. I want to see how long it, it can continue, and if this kind of change and focus on passing and more flow in the offense continues in the playoffs, but right now there are really good signs for the Raptors to compete in the playoffs in the East. I'm with you completely on that. They've they've definitely been on the radar. And as you said about Larry, I was just looking at stats on him. I mean, we already knew coming off these back-to-back -back scenes he had the past two years where he went from 17 points a game and 2014-2015, then he raised up to 21.2 points per game and finally capped at 22.4. So we already knew, you know, with him being 31, there was going to be some regression. I don't think we saw this much at this point. You know, he's averaging the lowest amount of points he's had since 2011-2012. His free throw attempts have been down. As you said, his field goal percentage, his three-point percentage, a lot of it's been down. But for the Raptors, it, it's basically for the greater good. They've taken a more egalitarian approach predicated mostly on ball movement finding open, getting open three-point attempts. Obviously, you could see they're hoping this will lead to more um, postseason success. So that's good. And it's obviously been a dip in production from the two guards, or Lowry especially in, in this case. But hopefully that will make their offense, as it is right now, a lot more versatile. You have a lot more weapons. You're not going to, to get funneled just through Lowry and DeRozan, and then one of the two inevitably either get injured or, or their playing regresses because of the focused defensive attention, then you're giving it to people who, quite honestly, haven't had the ball in their hands a lot of times. I mean, last year, aside from Norman Powell and, and Serge Ibaka, a lot of the Raptors are like, whoa, okay, this is, this is new, you know, <laughs> as far as getting the ball. So, And it's showing. Two seasons ago, the, Rap the Raptors were 19th in three-pointers attempted and 29th in assists per game. Last season, they were 22nd in three-pointers attempted and 30th in assists per game. And this season, right now, they're ranked 8th and 11th, respectively. And as you said, with their performance such as Tuesday night over the Rockets, they had 33-pointers attempted and 28 assists on 41 baskets. Like, 
that's becoming the norm, and that's good for, for, for their offense in general and hopefully for their team success moving forward into the postseason. I mean, we're, we're in November, but once they get to the postseason. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I like that the signs are being built now for a more successful playoff run, and I love when role players step up and fill their roles, no matter how limited or expanded they are. Um, so, and the Raptors always seem to be flying under the radar, and this season is no, is no exception. But they're going to um, round up our list of hot teams of the past week and a half since our last episode, and we're going to move to some cold teams, some kind of sad news for some of these teams. Um, we'll start with the Clippers, who uh, might be the coldest team in the league. They've lost eight straight games. After that, they started off, they were 5-2, and two, and people were like, oh, you know what, they might be a little bit, they, people were saying, oh, hot take, they're better without CP3. Well, fast forward eight more games, and they're 5-10 and 10 now. <laughs> um, they have the 10th best offense, which is still good, the 18th best defense, which is just not going to cut it to make the playoffs in the West. Um, I know other teams like the Grizzlies are struggling as well, um, but you know they, there are some really bad concerns about this team. And the biggest concern coming into the season were, were the risk of injuries. I picked them to make the playoffs, I think, around the 7th or 8th seed because I thought you know they would have some nagging injuries, but that wouldn't derail them. I thought they would have good enough depth, at least in the backcourt. But when you miss Beverly, Teodosic, and Galinari all at the same time, you're going to struggle, um, especially offensively, Teodosic and Gallo. Teodosis can set up for others, and Gallo can set up for himself, and Beverly, obviously, one of the best defensive guards in the league who can hit the three. All three key players and aspects of the rotation are out, so obviously there's kind of like an asterisk next to this, but losing eight straight games, even with the other players they have, is just not going to cut it. It's some really really bad concerns, and in, in one of our later segments, Half Court Eve, I'm going to talk about the Clippers again, but, you know... Do you, after this kind of eight straight lo- game losing streak, do you kind of reevaluate? I'm not sure if you had the Clippers in the playoffs before the season started, but if you did, do you think they're going to still make it? If not, do you think that they're just going to be on the outside looking in this year? I, I agree with you only because I think, obviously they're cold. I thought they were going to make the playoffs. I was hoping, as you said, they'd, they'd, they'd scrap in seven to eight, you know, get one of the last two, get steamrolled by the Warriors, but we knew that would be coming if that happened. But, you know, I figured... Having, I was one of the people who thought that having CP3 gone would enable Blake Griffin to become unleashed as, as far as an offensive fulcrum for that team. And I was hoping that Gallo would be able to help. Beverly seemed like a great um, dogged defender, the point guard spot. Him and Teo Dosage between the two of them would have enough playmaking aside from Gallo and, and Blake to, to give the Clippers some offensive versatility. I liked the trade they made. I liked it all. I thought, I thought it would work out pretty well. Obviously... We knew with Gallo, with Beverly, I didn't really know too much about Tia Dosage, but with some of the players on their team, we knew that injuries would be a, a concern. But I thought, you know, they have a, a more wide-open offense, kind of more unpredictable. Go through Blake, but you have a bunch of different pieces that all work together. And and seeing it right now, I mean, their offense, as you said, is 10th. It's not bad, but you could see warning signs here and there. Blake had just a hot start, obviously unsustainably from three. Obviously... For me, his three-point attempts are going to stay high. His shot, it's, it's legit. The shot's there. But obviously, he wasn't going to make as many as he had the first five, six games. So that's kind of regressed down to the mean. I'm a little worried. I know you're going to touch on this with um, DeAndre Jordan, only because yep. I, I've seen a couple of their games now, and you can kind of tell. There was, there was last year, he was used to the lobs. He was getting at least two or three a game. He was getting a couple of touches. You know, he'd already, uh, over the offseason, had kind of talked to Doc about wanting the ball more, even though, you know, he's not really going to do anything with it. <laughs> but he got a couple of dump-ins a game and was able to try to, to, you know, get some touches, make the big man happy. He's not really getting those 
these these last couple of games. This whole season has been down from last year because you don't have a point guard. I mean, you've been starting. Um, I think it was two second round picks. I forgetting the names, but they're they're with um, Thornwell. I'm forgetting, but with the injuries they Thornwell. Thornwell is one of them. One of them. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I've seen a couple, and, and you can see that you know they're kind of over their heads as far as getting him those touches. He hasn't been getting them, and you can see him start pouting just a little bit. You know, he's not really putting his whole his whole on the defensive end, and 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 I don't want to say with with good reason because he's not getting on the offensive end, but you can just see. A, a little bit of, of disgruntlement from him, and that's that's kind of concerning. Blake's getting a lot of defensive pressure now, um, kind of making some bad reads, you know, missing open players, forcing a lot of shots. It, it's kind of falling apart for them. So at this point, I, I want to say that I don't think they're gonna make the playoffs just because the injuries are playing out as expected, and you're giving Wesley Johnson heavy minutes. We gotta give Wesley Johnson some minutes and Austin Rivers. At the same starting lineup, you're, you're not you're not playing with playoff aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and speaking of injuries, we haven't had the usual Blake Griffin injury. I mean, he hasn't played more than 67 games in a season since 2013-2014, so I don't want to say something. And he's going to get injured, but there's a chance he could get it's injured. Coming. <laughs> um, and yeah, speaking of Blake, I mean, he got off to that extremely hot start. His, he's still hitting 35% of his threes when he's a take, he's attempting six per game, so that's good. Even if that even if that percentage falls a little bit, the fact that he's taking over five per game is good. He'll get the volume at least rather than the accuracy. He's shooting now. He's down to 42% from the field, which is a career low by far. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah he's attempting the most shots in his per game in his career, but he's shooting the worst from his career, and his efficiency has plummeted over the past week or two after that incredibly hot start. As expected, he wasn't going to maintain that. And DeAndre Jordan, you mentioned him as well. He's down to 64% from the field, which obviously is very good. But when you consider the fact that he was over 70% the past three seasons, 64 is pretty far from that. Um, he's down to 10 points per game. His blocks are down to 1.2, which is a far cry from the days when he was averaging near 2.5 per game. Um, so that kind of speaks to his kind of defensive involvement. And he's just extremely limited offensively. So if he's not being fed by a point god like Chris Paul... And even when they, even when Beverly and Teodosic comes back, Teodosic is a great passer and can set up De- Jordan. Beverly is a capable passer, but neither of them are Chris Paul setting up Jordan. So that's just another underlying aspect of Jordan's involvement in the team, and that'll go. I'll go into a little bit deeper on that um, in our half court heave segment. But I would have to. I want to wait and see until they're fully healthy. Beverly is going to come back against the Knicks tomorrow um, or today when you're listening to this podcast, and uh, I want to see them when they get. At least more, at least healthier. A little. I don't want to see them. You know, maybe Gallo won't be back, and Teodosis won't be back for a little bit while. But just getting Beverly back, getting some other guys back, maybe playing Sam Decker some more. I like to see them try some young wings out rather than Wesley Johnson. You already know what he is as a player. Um, yeah, come on, man. Just, <laughs> just hopefully they stay healthy and can grind it out. But I, I'm seriously concerned and and kind of doubting my playoff prediction for them. But. Let's move to the the Eastern Conference to so another team that's cold, uh, the Orlando Magic. And we had, I think, we spent our first two episodes talking about the Magic for like a half half an hour to an hour because we were all shocked by how well they were playing and especially how well they're shooting. But they've lost four straight now, and that that really hot start offensively has really dipped. They're now down to 13th offensively because their shooting has fallen off a little bit. Um, and obviously, they were not going to shoot over 40. 40- Three percent as a team from beyond the arc, and they'll probably the shooting will probably continue to go down because that this team in the past had never been proven that they were an elite three-point shooting team. Um, and then when your offense slips, you know you want to see that you can make up games with your defense, and that's not what they're doing with the 16th ranked defense, which is basically around league average. So they're almost about league average on both ends of the floor, and that's exactly why they I think they are eight and eight right now, and they've lost four straight. But I mean I think we all expected them to drop off. 
But with this big drop-off, you know, they're not good enough defensively and their offense is continuing to slip, especially as the shooting falls off. I think they're in danger of missing the playoffs altogether even after that really hot start. Uh, right there with you. And, and this last game, 125-85, home loss oh to Utah God. Jazz. <laughs> that, that just encompassed the, their whole struggles. Um, the loss, to me, obviously inexcusable. Just because there were so many, uh, just so many factors that were relevant to that game. The Jazz had just come back on the second night of a back-to-back. The Magic last played on Wednesday, oh. and, and, and they were arrested. Obviously, the Jazz are coming off their, their injuries to Rudy Gobert and, and swingman Joe Johnson, who's been out. Ricky Rubio's on a minutes restriction for a sore Achilles. Coming into the game, the Jazz had lost seven of their past eight, and even the Magic knew that they wanted to get this game because they're in a tough part of their schedule. Nikola Vucevic said before the game, it's critical we get these next two games at home. We need to stay above 500 before we go on this next road trip. So that means you lose and by a franchise record 40? Like, what happened? <laughs> and, they also had that, and they also had that loss against the Bulls at home when the Bulls beat them by, I think, around 8 or 10 points at home. And that was when the Magic were flying high at like 6-2. and two, And they had that bad loss to the Bulls at home too. So that's two really bad losses. Mm-hmm. And, and, and even the, the, the percentage. Obviously, they weren't going to shoot... 50% from the field and 40% from three as they were their first, like, seven games. But they shot 38% from the field and 27% from deep. This was 2014 bad. This was <laughs> this was just the, the manager matter going back to those days. Alfred Payton just didn't seem to be in position whenever he was defending off the ball. So the Jazz was getting wide-open jump shots. Vucevic and Biz, Bismack Biombo just kept sitting back on the paint even after the Jazz had knocked down, I don't know, eight to ten jump shots. You know, and it was just it was crazy. Derek Favors had absolute field day rebounding. Rodney Hood had 31 points, had seven of 13 from beyond the arc. He was just gunning. <laughs> Raul Neto somehow put up a plus 44 plus minus <laughs> in just 24 minutes of action. Come on now. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, right now they're fifth in three-point percentage as a team, hitting 39%. I think that could actually slip even more, which is why I'm even more concerned than, you know, the fact that their defense is not in near the top 10, um, and their offense will only continue to, to decrease as the shooting falls off. But we kind of expected this. I don't know if we expected, you know, maybe this drastic. I mean, it would be really terrible for them to miss the playoffs altogether. Obviously, it's still really early, so we shouldn't even be talking about playoffs. But for a team that started off so well, it would be really disappointing to see them all you know, crash and burn this quickly. Um, and, oh. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, and I'm just wondering, the Timberwolves are next. After that, the 76ers and the Thunder. All three, pretty tough matchups for them. Yeah, so... Like, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, they're in real danger of, of kind of making a, a Clippers-like losing streak here. Um, but uh, another team that had a really hot start that has really fallen off pretty quickly, like the Magic, going back to the West, a team that was kind of in that playoff mix before the season. You know, people were some people picked them to make it, some people didn't. Memphis Grizzlies have lost four straight, and there are some really concerning aspects. The biggest concern probably is Mike Conley. He's going to be reevaluated in in two weeks, and it's probably going to be out for more. He's in that he's in that walking boot now for the sore Achilles, which is an injury he's dealt with for what seems like years now. And obviously, if they don't have Mike Conley, you know their second best player, sometimes their best player on a nightly basis, um, they're going to be in real trouble, especially offensively with. You know, lacking the offensive firepower, relying on guys like Mario Chalmers and Tyreek Evans. And Tyreek Evans has a great, both of them have had great bounce back seasons, especially Evans, but you don't want to rely on them for the majority of the regular season to create for your offense. Um, and that allows teams to focus even more on Marcus Saul, which could hurt him as well. But the other really, really concerning aspect is their defense. Since November 5th, so about basically two weeks ago, 
They have the 25th ranked defense in the league. This is a far cry from the grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies of grinding it out with that defense. That the Celtics are more of a grit and grind team now this year than the Grizzlies are. They are they're more exciting to watch. They've got guys running in transition: James Ennis, Tyreek Evans, Gerald Martin, Jermichael Green has come back from injury. Chandler Parsons looks like an actual NBA player this year, but their defense has fallen off a cliff. And then when you combine that with the Conley injury and the losing four straight, I just feel like they're gonna not they're gonna lack the firepower. Um, to make up for that slipping defense, and ultimately that could cost them a playoff spot. So it's another team like the Clippers, or some people picked them to make the playoffs. I didn't, but there's serious room for concern with the Grizzlies due to injuries and just the the poor defense, which is not what we're used to seeing from Memphis. Uh, right there with you. I, I think, obviously, we all thought their defense wasn't going to be the same. With, with the subtraction, Zach Randolph wasn't really a part of the defensive mindset. Yeah. But with Tony Allen leaving, you know, the grit and grind was officially gone. You still had Marcus Gasol. You still had Mike Conley. But, you know, it's transitioning, obviously, to a more open open style of play. I don't know if you wanted the defense to be the, the turnstile has been. I don't know if that's what they were looking for. Obviously, with Mike Conley being out, the playmaking has gone down several notches. You can focus attention more on Marcus Gasol, make it harder for him to distribute. I feel Mario Chalmers has been, I would say, an average playmaker. He, he, his whole career, he's never really had to to be a, a floor general, kind of get a guy into their offense. And he's doing pretty much the same thing now. He brings it up, you know, give it to a, a, a Mike, a, a Marc Gasol, cut to the wing, cut to the corner, that kind of offense. Yeah, so yeah. this is this is only going to get worse. I mean, you don't really have Tyreek Evans is a good playmaker, but again, they're, they're, they're good playmakers for the position. I don't know if you want them to be primary ball handler type of players moving forward. And that's what they're going to be now. The starting line has been lackluster. It's only going to get worse with... Conley gone moving forward. Marcus All, I always worry about him just because when there's a, a lot, a couple of losses, a little bit of adversity, he, he doesn't do a lot of it, but he starts griping just a bit. You know, he'll, he'll say a little thing to the media, he'll, he'll get a little thing here or there. So we have to see how he holds up moving forward. But yeah, it, it could be kind of rough. I don't know if they're going to be, you know, they have enough talent to me where I think they could stave off a, a Clippers kind of losing streak. Or, or a magic type of losing streak if the teams are going to go into, but they're, they're not going to be good. <laughs> you know, it's going to be kind of rough. Yeah, it'll, it'll be concerning. And, and they don't really have the defense to fall back on where, as their offense will probably slip as Conley misses a, a good amount of games, probably maybe even up to a month knowing his past injury history, especially with this particular injury. So concerning aspects for the Grizzlies who will, or look like a much different team than we're accustomed to. Um, uh, you have any other hot or cold teams or maybe cold teams specifically And before we move on? Um, the, I, I want to say the Thunder. Uh, I, I was going to touch them just a little bit later, but they're they've just been out of sorts to me. They play okay. If we were to stop the game after the first quarter or at halftime, we'd be like, okay, that's that's how that's how OKC supposed to be. They they look polished, they look together. You know, everyone's getting their 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 shots in. Russell getting the and one celebration. You got Mello with the three to the head kind of deal. Everything looked good, and then third quarter they just seem to get blasted for whatever reason and then fourth quarter they lose another tight one and we're like why and their offense just devolves i get the whole we're still working together we're still trying to get the pieces together but mel has been the league what 14 years russell westbrook i think is going into his 10th season paul george in his seventh or eighth season like this isn't their first time playing the game of basketball the game of at an NBA level. So it's not about just working together. Let's get into an NBA offense. You know, Paul George kind of just disappears. Melo gets the ball, jab step, jab step, pump fake, post move, turnover, or missed shot. Like, this isn't even about, okay, we got to gel. 
this is just, hey, let's get some basic action, let's get some basic motion, get people involved, let's try to execute down the stretch of a tight game. And instead of just devolving into missed shots and one-on-one play that, that hasn't been working. It just hasn't been working. And I, I'm hoping they get together. I don't know how much of that is, is on the blame of, of coaching and just not putting their foot down and saying, hey, this is how it's going to be. We're going to get some action going. But you see the beginning. You see how it looks at the very beginning of the game. If you look at the first couple of possessions through the end of the first quarter, the action that they get. And then you see the end of the game, and it's like two different teams. Yeah, I mean, they have, over the course of their games, right now they still have the third best defense in the league, a really concerning 16th ranked offense in the league, but when it comes down to crunch time, both of those things are just terrible. Their defense is, is terrible in crunch time. Their offense is obviously, as you mentioned, terrible in crunch time. Just kind of breaks down into your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, ISO, ISO, blah, blah, blah. It makes it so easy, especially for good defenses to defend them, like the Spurs, um, and, and even other teams like the Celtics when they made their comeback in OKC a couple weeks ago. It just makes it so easy. And the other aspect is, last year they were so great in clutch, especially Westbrook, and he was just takeover games. Westbrook looks a little bit he just doesn't look 100% to me. I don't, I don't see that explosive lift from him. Um, less dunks this year, less kind of extreme highlight plays that would make the rounds on Twitter this year. And, you know, maybe he's just try, still trying to integrate his guys in. But the, the athleticism, and he had that injury during training camp, missed, I think, most of training camp. So I don't know if he's fully 100%, but something looks a little bit off with Westbrook. He's just not as explosive. And then obviously you've got guys like Melo who still don't really seem, he doesn't really seem to get to him yet. They thought they were going to get Olympic Melo. It doesn't look like they're getting that right now. Obviously, things could change. It's only about 15 games or so. But right now, it looks like Melo's still stuck in I am the best guy down the stretch mode. And Paul George is standing there like, um, I'm in the prime of my career. Maybe I should take the shot. And Westbrook's like, this is my team. Last year, I took every shot I wanted to. It's just, it, a lot of concerning aspects in terms of the integration of the offense. I, I like that they have the defensive pieces there. They just have to improve on building an actual offense down crunch time and then also kind of maintaining an elite off defense during crunch time, which they haven't been able to do so far. But if they fix their crunch time issues, we're probably not even talking about them as a, as a cold team because they're probably a couple games over 500 because they've had these leads and they've blown them down the stretch as their offense just completely dies in the final minute. So there are concerning aspects. Right. I think there are some positive aspects as well. Um, but there are teams mm-hmm. that certainly keep your eye on. And obviously they were one of the most fascinating teams coming into the season. So... It's, they're just going to be even more interesting as they try and figure out the offense down the stretch during the regular season as they don't have much time to practice, you know, back-to-backs, road trips, etc. So, so many aspects. Yeah. Of- oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm right with it. I, I, I obviously think it's still early, but with this team, I'm just a little more concerned because this is basically a, a tryout, season-long tryout for uh, for Paul George and, and to a lesser extent Carmelo. To, to see if they want to go for this for the long haul. You know, this could easily be a completely different team next year and and Russell Westbrook with whoever the Thunder can panic, you know, sign or panic trade for. So, I mean, it's only, like you said, it's still early. They have they have a really good defense. There are some positive signs, but you, you want it to kind of shape up kind of quick to show Paul George, hey, you know, you are in your prime. We're going to pay you like you're in your prime. We're going to treat you like this that you're the guy and you can successfully coexist with russell westbrook and you know olympic mellow to me is dead olympic mellow stays in the olympics and i think that was his last one so i think that's it but you know you want to you want a mellow to eventually get and go hey i I could be a great just super third third wheel third option you know elite shooter give them some spacing and every couple of games take over but i don't know that's 
that's maybe just the overreaction in me. <laughs> yeah, I just have one more point to make before we move on to the half court heave. Um, I this is this is exactly why I was so confused and kind of almost flabbergasted that there were a lot of media who were just easily concluding that the the Thunder would fit in, but Chris Paul would not fit in with the Rockets. I mean, there were so many people that would say, oh, the Rockets will struggle to fit in Chris Paul, and I thought that there would be an adjustment period for the Rockets, and obviously they have a different situation with Paul missing the first, you know, they play, he played in the first game and then missed the next, you know, 15, um, but now he's back and the team is, you know, running along like nothing changed, but I was so confused why people were so quick to assume that the Thunder would fit in better um, than the Rockets with Chris Paul. I, I, I thought that too many people maybe kind of expected Olympic Mellow when it just isn't natural to kind of have a guy change that much. Um, and I don't know why. I'm just kind of like still this is kind of proving why I, I was so confused and kind of annoyed that people were like, oh, the Thunder, they got Mellow and Paul George. All are going to be great. Uh, but the Rockets got Chris Paul. They all just adjust. They can't really work with James Harden. They both need the ball in their hands. I was just a little bit confused. And this is kind of proving why the confusion was, was merited, I guess. Yeah, you got it. Eric fired up over here. Don't don't forget what y'all said about my Rockets. I got you. I remember. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Are we good to move on? I was about to say, you, re- you ready to throw up that half-court heave? Absolutely. All right. Half-court heave coming right up. Alright, so I'm going to throw my half-court heave real quick and then turn it over to you, Eric. But I've this just bouncing right off the thunder, so I'm trying to keep it just along those same lines. Um, I think their front-court rotation is, is, is painfully weak. Uh, after the Steven Adams injury and, and, the, and the couple games that he missed, the three he missed with that calf injury, I, I think it showed just how, how much of a lack there was of rotation-worthy big men. They tried to fill the gap of Patrick Patterson, and, and I, I like him. I think there's still time for him to, to kind of play his way into – not into shape, but into, into game into game shape, if, if that makes sense. Because, yeah. you know, he had that offseason knee surgery. It's clearly affected him. The rust is taking a lot longer to work off. He's, on, he's averaging four points and 1.5 rebounds over the last 10 games. So this is nowhere near the Patrick Patterson that we've seen the last couple of years. And I think he's definitely going to be back, but it's going to take some time. You know, you had rookie Dakari Johnson get just a large uptick in minutes. He came from having no minutes played since October to playing 23 minutes in one game, 17 minutes in the next, and then 12 in the third while Adams was out. And the second-round pick, he's averaging three points and one rebound per contest, but that's not going to cut it. Yeah. Just seeing just seeing the the lack of big men. You're not going to try out Nick Collison. You know, he's he's getting that Udonis Haslam honorary <laughs> franchise big man treatment. So if he's coming to a game – it, it's because it's over. You know, one way or the other, it's over. And that has caused people to be playing out of, out of position. Uh, Jer- Jeremy Grant has been playing out the center role. He, he's okay. He's definitely shown improvement from last season. He's getting big minutes off the bench. But he's pretty good in that power forward role. I think he gets just a bit stretched too thin when he plays at the five spot. I mean, in my own opinion, he just doesn't. He's six nine, two twenty. It's it's good good length and size and, and frame, but it doesn't really match up well with most of the larger players in low post. And with with him fitting in, it's it's not the same as an Adams who just sets bone crushing screens. Is a real force in the post. You know all of that. So all that being aside, leading up to my half court heave, <laughs> I think that the Thunder are going to make a trade to boost their front court within the next two months. I see. There's a bunch of disgruntled or, or just 
just non-existent play playing time wise big men out there who could be available on the trading block and I definitely think that the Thunder could make a move for them. I'm seeing players like Julius Randle with the Lakers. It's a little local for. I mean, do we even know if he's still there? Like, where is the guy? <laughs> Greg Monroe with the Suns. Willie Reed. Even a player like John Henson or, or Nolan's Noel riding on the bench. As you see him more and more in Dallas, it's become increasingly clear that he probably isn't in their plans moving forward. So I, I definitely think the Thunder are going to look, you know, see the struggles they already have, kind of look at their front court depth, go, hey, you know, we, we need – a player who who can take these minutes, who is ready for that role, and I can see them swinging a trade. They have some pieces there that they can move. You you have Terrence Ferguson, you have Kyle Singler, you have Josh Hustis, you have players that you can you know toss around for these for these other front court players whose trade values at a, at a, at a pretty low right now. So that's my half court heave. I think it can happen. I, I don't know if it will, but I'm hoping so. I just let it fly. <laughs> Let's hear yours, Eric. <laughs> I'm a big fan of that half-court heave. And mine, I'm staying in the West, staying with the team we've already talked about in the previous segment, the Clippers. And this is a half-court heave slash kind of wishful thinking. This is my – I'm just going to throw it out there. I think either DeAndre Jordan is traded or Doc Rivers is fired during this season. Um, okay. I don't think it will happen in the near future. I mean, obviously, if they continue losing, I mean, if they can go – if they lose like 13 games straight, which I don't think will happen, but if it's possible, I could think maybe they would, you know, fire Doc Rivers probably first. But I think that some change needs to happen in, in L.A. even before they went on this really bad losing streak. I think that the future of the team just wasn't set up for long-term success and it clearly – wasn't ever even this in the short run. It was never better than maybe a sixth or fifth seed. So, and they have no really no future plans at all. But I think if they're out of the playoff picture around the trade deadline, it'd be perfect opportunity to trade DeAndre Jordan because he's a free agent this summer. And if this team is not a playoff contender with him as uh, as a key piece on the on, on the roster, as they look to be right now, not a playoff contender, why would you pay him the extension in the summer? Why not try and get something back in return for him? Just get something of value back. Maybe they can get a first-round pick, some kind of young asset or something. that just, just kind of set up some kind of plan for the future, which they don't really have right now. Um, and, you know, you know, Jerry West is now in the front office picture. He was hired over the offseason. You know, Lawrence Frank is the GM, but Jerry West, you know, probably has a big influence in that front office. And I don't think he's afraid to make bold changes. You know, Doc already lost the GM control. It, if the team continues to lose or if they're significantly out of the playoff picture by the trade deadline, Maybe he just loses the coaching control and they move in a different direction. Maybe get a younger coach. Maybe try and trade Jordan to get a younger asset. Try and do some kind of on-the-fly rebuild. I know they're really not set up for an on-the-fly rebuild, especially because they just paid Blake that big max. But if things continue like this and they're seriously out of it by the trade deadline, I think a change has to happen. And I'm ch- I'm hoping that a change happens. So it's it's half prediction, half wishful thinking on my part. But uh, that'll do it for our half-court heaves. Of the week. Uh, again, it's just our prick, uh, quick prediction segments. And in just a moment, we're moving to our second main segment of the show the three points. And now, here are the three points. All right. Um, I'll get us started with our three points by doing my first, and then we can go to yours for your first and just trade off one and one. Um, my first of my three points is that the Sixers are the real team of the future in the East. So we had Steve Kerr um, this past week before the Celtics and Warriors played. He said that the Celtics are the team of the future in the East. And I agree. I think the Celtics will be very, very good for a long time. Kyrie's only 25. Tatum, Brown, Smart. So many young pieces that we already talked about in the uh, full court press that are going to be really good. 
But my reasoning for this take and for this first of my three points is that the Sixers have two and potentially three, depending on Markel Fultz and how he recovers from that injury. They have two or potentially three stars that are under 23. And as we know with the NBA, more than any other sports league um, in the U.S., stars drive team success. They just drive the teams more than any other sports league, and they're just more valuable because there's only five players on the floor. So if you have two or three stars on the floor at one time, you're going to be a really good team. And if they got if they continue to develop guys like TLC, Luau Cabrero, uh, Dario Saric, maybe they sign a free agent or two, maybe LeBron, uh, maybe maybe. Um, <laughs> uh, even if it's not LeBron, even they, even if they sign you know more reasonable guys that just fit in with their team, and, and if their three stars and their role players develop, I think they're set up for sustained success. My only problem, of course, with making a prediction like this is that you never want to make predictions with Philly because of the injury risk. Every time Joel Embiid leaves his feet to jump up for anything, I'm scared. I almost close my eyes. I, I cringe. <laughs> I mean, that he, he, he needs to learn. Someone in the coaching staff needs to pull him aside and say, Joel, you don't need to dive for a meaningless block in a November game in the second quarter. You just don't need to do it. Um, there was that play he did against the Warriors where he went for this block and his head just hit the, the stanchion of the of the of the basket and it looked like I mean looked like he has sustained a serious neck injury. He's diving for blocks and rebounds. He's too risky with his body. Um, Simmons hasn't has had an injury, but there aren't many much concerns with him. Fultz's injury is out another two weeks with his shoulder thing. That's always a concern, especially for a guy who can rely on his jump shot a lot. Um, so it's risky to make a prediction like this, but ultimately I think that. If they stay reasonably healthy and they develop these two or three stars and maybe sign a guy and develop other role players like Saric and Luau Cabrero, I think the Sixers are the real team of the future in the East. And with that, I will throw it to you for your first point. All right. Just got to let you know, I think you accurately represent the feelings of any Philadelphia 76 <laughs> fan when you describe Joel Embiid. But my first point is just a brief look at Andre Drummond, point center. Um, the Pistons have had a strong start. And much of it can be attributed to the shift in their offensive philosophy. Andre Drummond, in particular, has has really evolved. He, he's still playing pretty dominant, actually. Double-doubles in 12 of his last 16 games. But the Pistons, as a whole, have really made a, a substantial offensive shift this past season. They've moved from their heavy pick-and-roll attack to more of, of, of a motion-heavy offense, with the pick-and-roll now being part of a series of actions instead of the primary mode of attack. And because of that, their pick-and-roll usage has basically halved this season. And with Drummond facilitating more from the elbows with, with 3.4 assists per game, he's been able to show more of a passing eye that's always been there, even if his assist totals haven't really reflected that. You could see him just with sharp, accurate, pinpoint passes from the post. And, with you know, he, he's always considered himself a, a traditional back-to-basket, you know, post post maestro down there, which he's never been. But, you know, to see him yeah. kind of working from up top and, and really – getting the ball passed around and, and really helping this offense just move, it's it's really good to see. Um, the pieces around him might also be impacting that. Avery Bradley's just been great off-ball cutting, and Tobias Harris has just continued his evolution as really a, a really just solid three-point shooter. So that's there. And and while he's not a Marcus Gasol or, or Nikola Jokic, he's been a real weapon in this Pistons offense, and with the growing sample size that's been shown, these abilities seem to be legit. So... That's been nice to see. You always He's only 24. You always like to see some continued um, development from players, especially one of Drummond, who I'm not going to lie, I didn't really see this last year as far as where could he go. I thought he was kind of dead set in these ways. The Pistons seemed to be stuck in a morass last year, and I was like, okay, well, they're going to have to move Drummond or Jackson or both. So to see the Pistons coming together, but definitely Drummond showing a different side of his evolution as, as a ball player, it's really good to see. And so just wanted to shine a little light on that. 
So I'm, I'm going to throw the second point back to you, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I always like to see kind of unexpected developments from players and teams and new wrinkles in, in an offense. And it seems to be working out for the Pistons. Obviously, Jackson has bounced back. Tobias Harris has played really well. Drummond is playing well and passing more. And they're giving him more playmaking duties. And the Pistons are 11-5. and five. They had a really good win uh, against the Timberwolves on the road today before, this, before we started recording. So great point, uh, shining light on the Pistons. I'm going to keep it on kind of unexpected slash breakout things. And my, my next point is basically that it's always really great to see breakout seasons or moments from what I would classify as relatively quote-unquote unknown players. Now, Robbie Covington was known before this year, but maybe not by a lot of casual fans. Maybe I think most of our NBA, you know, really deep in-depth fans and writers and analysts knew Robert Covington, but a lot of casuals are really just learning about him now this season, especially when he signed that extension. Um, but he's he's really breaking out this season. He's playing really great defense. He's hitting his threes at an insane rate. I think he's over 48% for now. That'll come down, but it's still nice to see. Um, and he's he seems to be a perfect piece I know he's 27, and, and he kind of doesn't fit with my first point about the Sixers being the future uh, team of the future in the East. But for right now and for the next three or four years, he is a perfect role player for the Sixers as one of the best 3 and D wings in the NBA, which is a really uh, – 3 and D wings are really a commodity in the NBA. There aren't that many that are true 3 and D wings. So having one of them like Covington sign to a reasonable deal, who's a good uh, vet, you know, presence in the locker room, good role player, is perfect for Philly, and he's having a breakout year, especially for casual fans. Another guy, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's definitely not – not known by a lot of people. Um, he's been given a really big role with D'Angelo Russell out and obviously Lynn out for the year, and he's making the most of it. So, so far this year, he's averaging 11 points per game, 5.6 assists per game, 3.1 rebounds per game, which is pretty solid. He's hitting over 44% of his threes. I mean, he has. He, there are some moments where he's just taking oh. over games. I mean, we remember we were joking on one of our episodes where they were playing the Cavs, and the, and the key matchup was LeBron versus Spencer Dinwiddie, <laughs> and Spencer Dinwiddie actually ended up winning the matchup, and the Nets won the game. Yeah. Um, so guys like that, Dinwiddie, Covington, it can even stretch to the team level, like the Pistons coming out of nowhere, the Magic's hot start to the season, um, teams like that. So just it's always great to see breakout seasons and moments from players and teams that were just completely surprised for everyone, even the most in-depth NBA fans and analysts. So, all right, what's uh, what's your second point? All right, so mine is just shining a little light. Not really shining light, but a warning to the New Orleans Pelicans. You know, I wrote a piece just recently, oops, self-plug, about their <laughs> ugly um, 146 to 114 loss to the Denver Nuggets. Now, yes, the Nuggets just went Terra Nova on them. And yes, it's only the Pelicans' you know eighth loss this season. They are eight and eight, which is their better start of I want to say the last three or four seasons. But their 146 was the most that New Orleans has ever allowed in a single contest. And of course. They had a scare with Anthony Davis suffering um, what was thought to be a concussion, later determined to be a bruised orbital bone. So, you know, he's still iffy on their next game against OKC, but it is good to see that he is not going to have to be out of a couple games with the concussion protocol. What hasn't been good to see is is just a few things, Uh, first of which is their poor defense. It's becoming a trend. New Orleans allowed Denver to shoot 62.9% from the field. Um, only one game after they allowed Toronto to shoot 40, 59.2% from the field. So they've really, you know, you can see they've built their defense around protecting the paint, but teams have just countered by torching them from behind the arc. <laughs> Denver knocked down 18 of their 35 threes, and that was the fourth time in the last five games that New Orleans allowed a team to make at least 15 three-pointers. So they're really just bombing away. Teams are shooting 38.1% from deep against them this season, and that ranks 25th in the NBA. So defensively they need to tighten it up also cousins um just in general he's had first half struggles to get himself going and and with the amount of responsibility that him and anthony davis carry on that offense if he's having a slow start the team's having a slow start um he had eight points on two for seven shooting on friday and then picked up 
three fouls with within three minutes with before three minutes was left in the second quarter. And in the first half of the last three games, he's shooting seven for 22 from the field with 10 turnovers. And he's really starting a lot of his shooting from outside. When he can't get that to go, then he tries to power inside. But teams are starting to get a little more ready for that, really doubling down real quick on him, you know, getting it hard for him to find a rhythm, miss a couple shots, get fouled a little too hard for his liking. Then you start seeing the griping a little bit, the attitude. He's really held himself in check more or less, but you're, you're starting to see just slight cracks in foundation. And and that's not what you want to see from Demarcus, knowing how he is, and 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 just as a player, you know, you want to get him touched, you want to get him going, but you don't want to have him start getting within himself, and and then really becoming a negative asset for the team, especially with the amount of responsibility that he holds. But also, the Pelicans just getting romped in the second half. In general, Denver scored 82 points on them in the last two in the last two frames, including 40 points in the fourth when the game was already done. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was crazy. And in the second half in general, the Pelicans have just been letting people score just at will. And that kind of goes back to their defensive philosophy. But if Alvin Gentry wants to keep his job, and, you know, that's that's up in the air, you know, how long he'll last throughout the year. But they really want to get that tightened up. You really want to get the two stars, Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, working well. And this loss they had should be a warning that, hey, we need to – really get it together. You know, I don't know if we're talking playoffs. I'm sure New Orleans is talking playoffs, but whatever we're trying to do, you want to keep DeMarcus. Obviously, Alvin Gentry wants to keep his job. Obviously, um, Del Demps wants to keep his job. There's a lot riding on how this season goes. So for me, just the Pelicans, take this 32-point loss, to look in the mirror, see what you can work on realistically, and try to bounce back in these next couple of games. I think this game against OKC is going to be important. But what do you think, man? Yeah, I mean, my my final thing about the Pelicans before I move on to my third point is that I just really would like to see Drew Holiday step it up. He's had a really, really rough start to the season so oh, far. Yeah. And I, they gave him that big contract extension, which was somewhat criticized and you know somewhat understandable from their perspective as well. But he has come out and really just been put up stinkers after stinker i mean and the fact that they besides you know they needed they need him to step up because besides him there is not much of a supporting cast around cousins and davis and they can't do everything on their own and shoulder defense and offensive burden so holiday really needs to step up and if he does it'll be huge for the pelicans and huge for the two big men moving forward and probably give him a much better chance of a making the playoffs b gentry keeping his job c cousins not leaving and obviously d del dems keeping his job as well so focus on holiday as well um as they continue to play a crucial stretch especially starting off with okc um and my third and final point of the week is about the young talent in the nba because the nba is in such a great place with the future stars i mean we've got guys ben simmons joel Embiid. Kristaps porzingis anthony towns davis Giannis, Jokic. um there's even you know to a lesser extent maybe Guys who are limited to like all-star level talent, like Bradley Beal, Andre Drummond, who we talked about, uh, Devin Booker, Aaron Gordon, Andrew Wiggins. There's so many guys I can rattle off that are young talent, considered guys that are you know future all-stars, future MVP candidates. And the best part is that each night the fans are getting a glimpse of what the next seven to ten years will look like in the league and who will be battling off for the MVP during that time frame. I mean, you cannot go on Twitter one night and not see a highlight from one of those guys I mentioned above. An MB dunk, a Porzingis block, a Simmons pass. Carl Anthony Towns, Davis, Giannis, all these unicorns and everything like that. Jokic passing. Um, I think it's just this this recent or this this start to the season and how well these young guys are playing and kind of taking over on a nightly basis, especially highlight wise, should put any you know worries aside when you worry about guys when you know the LeBron, Chris Paul, Melo crew kind of leave because of when they eventually retire because there are just so many 
talented young players ready to take over. And this is a side point. I think it's just funny how almost all the guys I named in that first section, you know, Simmons, Embiid, Porzingis, etc., almost all of them are big men. Um, which is interesting because obviously we're talking about how the league is moving away from big man. It's more guard, you know, focused and perimeter heavy. Uh, we'll we'll see how that changes in the next you know couple of years. Obviously, these big men are big men who can shoot most for the most part and have extended their game to three point range. But these are also guys that like to get in the post. So it'll be very interesting to see how the league evolves as these guys ascend to the MVP candidates and and make up the top ten players in the list. So ultimately, NBA fans should not be worried about the future of the league because it's in a great place with young talent. And with that, I'll throw it over to you for the final point okay well my last point is just to say happy trails to a pretty good big man in this league for a little bit david lee mm. played 12 seasons was, was real productive had over 11,232 points 7,320 rebounds 1,825 assists had 625 steals 329 blocks, career average of 54% from the field with 77% from the free throw line, a two-time all-star. He he really came and, and, and through hard work really made himself into a, a really good player. You know, drafted by New York, kind of just fit in the mold. I think he's playing behind Zach Randolph and Eddie Curry and some other <laughs> Al Harrington, some other big men there. Really worked, became a scrapper, a hard rebounder, you know, a, a, a good set of low post moves. A, a, a jumper that was just really reliable from 16 feet and in just just really good then he went and earned 80 million dollars in golden state came their leader kind of helped them develop along with steph curry and clay thompson the rest of them got himself a ring you know he played really well earlier of course you know announced his retirement and I, I i think he was one of the more underrated forwards he wasn't you know of course hall of fame or anything like that but just a deaf a, a really good solid player and you know he, he he just had a good career so i just wanted to Say happy trails to him. Enjoy that retirement. Well, uh, well done on his career. Yeah. Quickly before we move on to the something foul, uh, I just want to say that David Lee is one of my favorite players ever because I was actually I was actually a Knicks fan when he was leading that team. You know, 2008, 2009. Uh, I I still remember his uh, tip in from the inbounds play. They threw it. They lobbed it up to him and he tips it in to win. I think it was an overtime against uh, Charlotte. I think. Um, one of the most memorable plays I've ever remembered as an NBA fan, as particularly as a young Knicks fan growing up. Um, and then, of course, he moves to Golden State, gets the big contract. I'm, I would be interested to see how many people would know that he's a two-time All-Star because when I was looking at up, uh, you know, his kind of quote-unquote resume when I heard the retirement, I was, even I was a little bit surprised. I knew he made one, but I didn't know he made that second one, that all second All-Star game. So, I mean, this guy, yeah. his peak is putting up 20 points per game, 12 rebounds, and over three and a half assists per game. So he was a top big in the league for a, a stretch um, of the league. So extremely underrated, extremely beloved, obviously, by Knicks fans. He's a really great guy as a person and, and a very talented and underrated NBA player. So nice of you to shine some light on uh, David Lee to close out the three points. I appreciate it, man. All right. Well, oop. I, I, you know what I'm getting right now. I'm getting something foul, man. I feel it coming. <laughs> Let's get to something foul. Now it's time for something foul. All right, so I'm I'm really interested actually to hear to hear what you got for some foul right now because you know when you get some foul and you really you really feeling it it's something <laughs> to listen to so I, I kind of hear what you want what you got going Eric let's uh, hear it let me preface this by saying I don't want to come off as this kind of annoyed snarky <laughs> NBA slash Rockets fan. 
But I have a real <laughs> problem with the media perceptions and narratives, and this is pertaining to LeBron James and and his defense or or lack thereof this year. And and it's actually kind of ironic we're talking about this now, but there's going to be an article on 94feetreport.com from one of our, our writers, Jake Panting, um, tomorrow talking about this exact topic of LeBron's poor defense this year. Um, let's cut it short. LeBron's playing terrible defense this year. All the metrics will show you that, and you can read the article tomorrow. They have all the metrics of how poor LeBron's defense is. But I'm my kind of annoying part about this is that there really isn't much of a national media discussion about his really bad defense. They do not criticize it as much or even anywhere close to the levels they did and still do with James Harden. Even now, James Harden doesn't play bad defense. It's showing up on First Take or SportsCenter or NBA Game Time on NBA TV. But LeBron puts his hands on his hips in that game against Dallas and doesn't even bother to look like he's even watching the game. And you see that on Twitter, of course, because Twitter's, you know, NBA Twitter's filled with, you know, in-depth fans and stuff like that. But that will not make the national media as much. Um, and the thing is that I, I get it because we all know LeBron can be a great defender when he wants to be, especially in the playoffs. And he has these great blocks every now and then. That's like, oh, he must be playing great defense. But when you watch him on a night-to-night basis and game-to-game basis, play-by-play basis, basically, there are plays where he's playing basically the same level as James Harden a couple years ago. And James Harden has stepped it up a little bit. He's basically passive on defense for the most part at this point. Um, but I, I just my something foul is really just the media. And the national media, really, I don't, I mean, people on Twitter are doing a good job of kind of pointing out how bad his defense is, and especially our writers at 94 feet, because we're going to have an article about it tomorrow, but uh, the national media, and there's just their lack of kind of fair evaluations of players, like, I get it, LeBron is always going to be a great defender when he wants to be, and is so much better than Harden defensively, but the fact is that he is playing just as bad as defense as Harden is so far, or has been in the past, um, and you know the discussion is nowhere close to that. So that's my something foul, just the media perceptions of evaluating players, and it's particularly LeBron's poor defense this year. Enough ranting from me, let's get to your something foul. <laughs> hey, I like I like the righteously indignant Eric. You know, basketball <laughs> purists, you got you got he got strong feelings. It's good to hear him. Yeah. But um, for me, you know, he he missed this last game against the Nets, and you know he's he's been playing well, but Kevin Durant. Once again, he's talking, and we all know that's always problematic. <laughs> he went in-depth on his films about Oklahoma and, and many other things in an interview with um, Bleacher Report's Rick Bucher, Bucher. And he – these are just – I'm just going to read a few of the excerpts of, of this interview. On the Thunder organization, he said, Those people really mean a lot to me to this day. No matter if they talk to me or they're mad at me, whether it's Sam Presti or Troy Weaver or Russell Westbrook or Nick Collison – whether it's Wilson Taylor or Clay Bennett and his family, I love them from the bottom of my heart. We're not talking, but eventually we will. Obviously, that question was asked in, in relation to their upcoming game this Wednesday against the Warriors, which Kevin Durant, questionable, may or may not play due to that ankle injury. I say that only because, you know, if, if he's really out, obviously he'll be out. But I could see Steve Kerr pulling pulling a fast one and just kind of keeping him out of that one for rest purposes when he might be healthy, you know, just to avoid the circus that may, always seems to arise with that. Yeah. But – I don't know. He even he then got mad and was talking about um, <laughs> um, giving up the Thunder's thirty five number thirty five jersey to PJ Dozier. He said, um, on the Thunder giving it away that he was upset. He didn't have the perspective at first. I didn't have one. Went back to OKC for my first return. I was like, expert of all of them. I didn't have one. They gave my number away. I was like, expert of all of them. My best friend works for the team. I told him beep that y'all. That's effed up. When I had to give up my head, I tell myself it's not that serious. It is what it is. I understand it's not my number anymore. They can do whatever they want with it, but you hand that number to a two-way player, you've got to be like, nah, we've got too many good memories with this number, man. <laughs> but at some point, that thing's going to be in the Raptors anyway. It's all good. Like, Kevin Durant, just just stop. 
that's just what I feel. You, you don't have to be saying these things. Obviously, you're hurt. You're angry. I think my, my the thing that really struck a nerve of me was when he said, ain't no such thing as loyalty. You just see disloyalty in different ways, but that's one of the most underrated parts of the game. We scream loyalty, but we don't expect it from the people writing the checks because they're writing the checks. He also said he still blue in his blood. Loyalty, yes. You know, you see trades like Isaiah Thomas being traded from Boston to Cleveland. You see trades like Ennis Cantor sticking up OKC and then flipped as soon as he could be yeah. for Carmelo. So, yes, that happens. But by that same token, loyalty is a two-way street. You need it from the player. You need it from the organization. Look at the San Antonio Spurs. I can't name one major player on that team aside from Boris Diaw, who the Spurs let go or just moved moved um moved from without that player also wanting to leave. It's mutual respect. One side can feel toward the other, but if it's not reciprocated, then it doesn't exist. But for you to say loyalty doesn't exist to just justify your own leaving just get past it, man. You're done. It's over. You know, we don't got to keep talking, having to analyze everything you say and, and going through all the, the Twitter nonsense and, oh, I felt this way that they gave my number away. Dude, you decided to leave. When you left, it's over. That's done. That chapter's closed. The organization do whatever they want. And so, I, Kevin Durant, you just need to stop. You know what I mean? Just to stay healthy. You're in a better place. You got a ring. You're justified. You're good now. Isn't that what you wanted? Let's keep it moving. Yeah. I don't know. That That's me getting off my soapbox. But what do you feel about that, man? I just feel he talks too much, man. I, 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 he does. I mean, every time he opens his mouth, it's just a whole day of bashing and saying, why? Why are you still talking? I mean, I think – didn't Rick – like when he tweeted out the article, he said something like, uh, I had tried to keep the article on focusing on you know something specific, and I don't remember exactly what it was. It was something about you know Durant playing in Golden State, but he was. I think Rick basically you know prefaced the article by saying I had tried to keep the interview on 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 you know task on and we tried to keep it focused on one topic, but then it just was Kevin talking like he just lost his mind in this interview and ended up just <laughs> spewing all this stuff. So that it goes to show even more that you know Rick wasn't even trying to. Get get all these quotes out of him. It was just just Durant naturally speaking himself, and it's just like, come on, stop. You're there in Golden State. You won a championship. You've already made the return to OKC twice. Like, just stop talking. Play basketball. Win the games. Probably win your next championship again this year, and just stop talking. It makes you look even worse or re more ridiculous. Like you've already been justified and you've already been redeemed and 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 valued. Just just stop talking. I I can't. No one understands it. He also had the other quote about him saying, like, I'm, I'm fine, like, not being the leader. I, I don't know. He basically admitted, like, I'm just not a leader or something like that. It was basically fine. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm fine with Steph being the leader. That's not really me. Okay. That's a fine <laughs> quote. You can say that. I'm no, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. It was a real surprise, Kevin. Um, I'm fine with someone saying <laughs> that, but then you go on you go on a different rant on your former team over a year after the after leaving, after winning a championship. Everyone's, you know, rebounded fine. The Thunder integrating their own all-stars now so enough talking kevin that's enough i mean speaking of enough i think we've uh, both ranted enough for our something fouls and uh in just a moment <laughs> we're gonna move on to our final segment of the show the and one finally it's time for the and one all right, uh, Corbin, I will let you start us off or really finish us off with your and one of the week. Okay, well, I, I just briefly mentioned it. I'm looking forward to this Wednesday at Thunder OKC. I mean, OKC <laughs> Golden State game. I I think for OKC, obviously been struggling, but you know how Russell gets when he plays. Oh, he always gets that way when he plays Golden State, just yeah. ever since Steph Curry's just ascended. But 
even even more so since Kevin Durant's been there. So I wonder if he's gonna just chuck the whole ooh, let me bring the ball up and pass. If he's just gonna go, you know, right to the wall, just just being aggressive early, you know, just pushing and going, hey, I'm back, I got this team, I don't need you, Kevin, you know, just through his play. So I want to see how it's going to work. I'm interested in seeing how Melo versus Draymond Green matches up. How if Kevin Durant plays against Paul George, and if not, how they're going to cross match that, and how they're going to do a, how they're going to um, devise a scheme for them. I want to see if the Thunder, because Russell's going to be playing, um, I guess the word would be aggressively <laughs> from the jump of the game, if they don't even try what they've been doing the last couple of first quarters, first halves, where they do pass the ball and get into a motion. Will it descend right off the bat into one-on-one play? You know, will they will they be trying to work the ball through some semblance of an actual NBA offense? Will it just go into feed the hot hand or chuck it up as soon as they get the ball? It's going to be a lot of storylines to see. And on this opposite end, how will Kevin Durant play against them? You know, again, how is the crowd going to react? It's been one year, you know. It's been a couple of tremors. Obviously, Kevin had uh, Twitter fingers and, you know, can't stop talking about OKC. But will OKC go full cupcake mode again? Will they just pretend that um you know he's gone we're gonna move on obviously the booing is gonna be there i just want to see all these outside factors you know it's not already off the top you could kind of tell that there was a lot more hoopla almost from the jump last year about the circus that was okc versus golden state just from the beginning and i feel that it's been more or less largely toned down but you know you're gonna see some of those familiar sparks they're gonna get a lot of questions coming up on wednesday so i really want to see how that works that's that's the game of the week to me just because of you know all the superstar celebrity and and storylines behind it, but I really want to see what comes out of that. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's probably yeah game of the week, most compelling of the week certainly. Want to see how the Warriors come out? They've had some pretty slow starts recently, and they lost to the Celtics. They uh, went they were down by twenty to the Sixers, and they ended up winning by almost twenty. That was a remarkable second half turnaround. But they've had some slow starts. I don't expect that again because I think they'll be amped up to play the Thunder. And I think the Thunder will be amped up to play the Warriors, and it'll be a really good test for the Thunder, who are still trying to figure things out, as we talked about earlier. My end one is a. It's about the Houston Rockets, and uh, it's basically looking out for the Rockets hitting the ground running now that they're finally back at full strength. So I had mentioned that Chris Paul's finally back. He played the past two games, and their game against the Grizzlies last night was actually the first time they had their complete rotation since opening night because when Paul returned returned against the Suns in that blowout, you know, ridiculous offensive showing on Thursday, Mbamute was out. Sick, and so Mbamute returned. So they finally had their full desired rotation with Nene, Mbamute, Paul back, Gordon, every everyone's back for the first time since opening night. Now Chris Paul is still on a minutes restriction. It's increasing gradually. He was it was 20 minutes his first game. It was like 22, 23 his, his second game. They don't play again until Wednesday, so maybe that'll bump up to 25. And sooner or later, by the end of the month, he'll be playing probably you know around 29, 30 minutes a game. And and you know, as he plays more, as he gets fully integrated. It, Yo, teams should be scared. I mean, it's unfair for your team to start off with Harden and Paul in the backcourt. And then, when Harden <laughs> plays almost all the first quarter, you sub him out with Chris Paul? Are you kidding me? Chris Paul <laughs> Chris Paul going against bench units is unfair. I mean, I would expect oh. the Rockets to be offense to be elite. I wouldn't I still don't think they'll catch up to the Warriors, but I think that they will post the a top ten offense of all time. Because they will have one of Paul or Harden on the floor at all times, which means that they're gonna have a great offense. They're running the floor, they can create for themselves, create for others. This really helps guys like Clint Capella, Nene, Ryan Anderson, guys who really need people to feed them the ball. 
one of Chris Paulo Harden will always be on the floor with them, so that's just going to be incredible for their production. Maybe their efficiency will go up. Maybe the shooting as a team will go up because it's been somewhat um, low for, to start the season. And then the other aspect is their next five games are Denver, the Knicks, the Nets, the Pacers at home, so a four-game homestand, and then at the Lakers. Those are all winnable games, and if they stay healthy, if they get fully integrated, they have now until Wednesday, they've had some, they can get some practices under their belt. The Rockets, I think, will hit the ground running, and it could be dangerous for opposing teams moving forward. So that's my and one of the week. To round up this episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast, once again, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow um, the podcast and basically our website, Twitter, at the 94 Feet Report, and you can check out our website at 94feetreport.com. We are going to be adding a couple new writers this coming week, so there'll be even more content on the website as well, so look out for that. Um, and then Corbin, just throw out where they can follow you on social media and where they can find your work. All right, I'm Corbin Ford MBA. I just recently put up something up for the 94 people report, kind of dated, but just a little uh, running game diary of the Pelicans Nuggets game. I'll probably have a write up on the Warriors Thunder game when that comes. You already know it's going to be big. Um, just as Eric said, check out the 94 Feet report. There's just been so much good content I've been reading lately and proud to be a part of. And so it's kind of good to check on that. Definitely just. Get up there, read. We got some good writers, good talent, good spot, man. All right, and uh, we'll, we'll, we will be in touch, of course. We haven't decided what we're going to do with our second episode of the week due to Thanksgiving. We might not have one. We might just come back next Sunday. Or we might do a different episode on a different day, but we'll keep you guys posted. Follow us on Twitter for those updates. Um, follow us on Twitter at the 94 Feet Report. Check out our website, 94feetreport.com. Have a great week of watching NBA basketball. Take care, guys. <laughs>